All right, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, grab one from the aisle. If you do have one, go ahead and open up uh, to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to be focusing in on verses 8 to 13 this morning. Um, But be ready to flip, because we're going to be looking at a, a few different pieces of Scripture before we really get there. Um, I, I think I probably say this before most of the times that I am up here, um, but whenever I have the opportunity to share on Scripture that, that God has placed before me, it, it's always kind of this, this heavy weight during the week. Um, you know, Paul, or in this case Todd, sent me some commentaries to kind of look through and pour over and read through and put against Scripture and put against what God has laid on my heart regarding this Scripture and uh, just so you guys know, my prayer for this morning, as I share what, what God has laid on my heart, is that it would touch you where you're at as well. Um, I, I don't have any, you know, I always kind of come up here thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to speak so well, and it's all about me. And um, I just ask that even as I'm talking right now, that you guys are, are praying that I would be able to put that aside, and that God's word wouldn't be hindered as, as we walk through this scripture this morning. So as I was preparing for it, as I was poring over those commentaries and, and reading and rereading the scripture, one question kept coming to my mind. As we look at deacons and what deacons do, the question that kept coming to mind is, what is service? What does true and genuine service look like? Pretty much every commentary that I read through started with the definition of deacon, going back to the root word meeting, meaning um, to wait tables or uh, the definition that I, I really kind of liked was to engage in service of a social kind. Or, most simply, deacon translated is servant. So it's clear that a deacon is one who serves. But again, what does that mean? What does service to God look like? As I started thinking through that and praying through that, it struck me of how amazing it is that God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to serve, and not to be served. So right there in Christ, we have our example of what service should look like for us today. Flip to Matthew 20. I don't have page numbers for you, I'm real sorry. But I am going to read it. Jesus says, uh, verses 25 to 28, sorry. You know the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and he healed many. He got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. And in light of some of our conversation this morning about pedicures, it kind of grosses me out. But it's an amazing act of service. He fed 5,000 people with barely enough to feed five. Jesus didn't come to show his power in ways that would make earthly kings tremble, although he easily could have. With one word, he could have shook every foundation of their kingdom and made it rubble, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus chose to come to a humble town, 
to a humble company, couple in a very humble beginning. In short, he, come, he came as a king who would demonstrate what it is to love others through service and sacrifice. To demonstrate the power of that. In Luke twenty two twenty seven, as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, he says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Service. To be a great leader, or maybe even a better descriptor or bigger yet, to be a follower of Christ, again, making us less and him more, we must be willing to serve and not be served. To put our agendas aside, to put ourselves aside long enough to see the work that God has placed before us, to see the people who he brings into our path, even though they might be people who are awkward or hard for us to communicate, we need to recognize the service opportunities that he brings to us every single day. Because when we are serving those around us, it is then that we're being examples of Jesus' ministry and leadership. We aren't to serve others to gain social status or to increase our reputation or to be noticed for our service. No. That's not how Jesus did it. We are to serve humbly so that our service, in our service, we are giving glory to God. Because glory to ourselves fades, our reputation fades, eventually we're all going to die and not be on this earth. Our name is going to fade away. But when you serve in a way that brings glory to God, the eternal, that will never fade. And seeing that God is the only one worthy of glory, I think it's appropriate that that's where we are to give it. Hayden Robinson, who uh, wrote one of the commentaries that I was reading, says this, There's n- There is certainly nothing officious or self-conscious or self-promoting in the word deacon. The Lord's followers are to be humble servants. All of us are called to be service, servants, to wait tables, to wrap the towel around our waist, and to bend low to do the dirty work. That's our call if we claim to follow Christ. So as I, as I thought through that, it seems like any time I do sermon prep, it brings more questions than answers to my life. kind of started asking the questions, okay, so for me, what, what have I done lately, not for my recognition or for my reputation, but to genuinely serve wholeheartedly? Is there anything in my life that I've done where I've purely set myself aside and done this to serve God? I don't have an answer for that. But I do believe that God calls us to serve in many different areas. And in many different ways. And in doing that, in serving in a variety of areas and ways, we are, bringing, we, we are to take joy in our service to him. When you find yourself in your sweet spot, you all have one. 
I know you do. And I hope you recognize it and know what it is. When you find yourself in that spot where you are just clicking and going and everything seems to be running great, all of a sudden the tasks that are before you don't seem like tasks or something to check off a checklist or a burden to be carried. When you're in your sweet spot, you find yourself serving full of joy and overflowing with praises because this is what God created you to do. For me, um, I work at Camp Manitoba. I'm the program director out there, and I love what I do. That's my sweet spot, and I get to go to my sweet spot every day. I love where God has me at camp because I get to share my passions with a lot of other people, and I get to see people get excited about what I get excited for, whether it's being outside, whether it's doing what you might call crazy things, um, whether it's teaching and being taught about the character of Christ. God has me in a place where I get to go to work and share my passions that he has placed in me. And sometimes I think I can do this on my own, and I think I can come up with a really great program or run a really great program, and all of a sudden I find myself at work dreading it because I'm doing it on my own. But there are other times where I recognize that the gifts that I have, the things that I do, are things that come from Christ. And I give that glory back to God. And when I do that, no matter what the situation that I'm dealing with is, it could be an angry parent that I really don't want to walk into that conference room to talk to. It could be a summer staffer who I have to send home for the summer. It could be a camper who is being completely disrespectful. It doesn't matter. Because when you step into those situations and you're giving the praise and the glory to God, he will do great things. And I totally went off of my script. So anyway, back to service. We get to serve. Service is an honor. Service is something that God has given us Recognizing that he doesn't need us, if we don't complete a task, his plans aren't going to fall apart. But even though he doesn't need us, he allows us to be a part of his redemptive work. So who is called to serve? In short, anyone who calls themselves a Christian is called to serve. In 2 Timothy 2, Uh, Verses 24 to 25. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. The Lord's servant. As the Lord's servant, if that's what you claim yourself to be, part of your identity should be that you serve. Not only the people around us, the people who it's maybe easy, our family, our church family, our coworkers, people we don't even know. Those are the physical people that we are to serve. And in our service to them, we are to serve God first. In all that we do, we are first God's servants. 
recognizing that through the blood of Christ, we can claim salvation. And through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in a way that glorifies God's name. Those are our acts of service. So, now that we've talked a lot about service and what service is, we're going to move into deacons. And the third question that came to my head as I was trying to figure out how to transition this from what God has laid on my heart for service and the importance for us all to serve is so if a deacon is a servant, why aren't we all deacons? Or if a deacon is a servant, why do we need deacons? If we're all called to serve, why do we need an official title? I'll tell you why. Deacons fulfill a very important role in the church. They are to be lead servants among the the church body. Deacons set the example in the local church as to how we are to serve in our unique roles. Deacons should be those people that we look to as we strive to serve God in every day that are serving God. Deacons are people that are chasing hard after and exemplifying the qualifications that we find in in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. So we're going to read those together. If you have uh, one of Missy O'Day's Bibles, it's page 992 if you're not already there. Starting at verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, not so, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not to say that deacon candidates or current deacons need to perfectly match all of these all of the time. There is room for grace in that. But as we consider deacons and who should serve as a deacon, God's word has to be the measuring stick. This is the filter in which we put a deacon candidate through. These are things in their life that need to stand out before they can be considered as a deacon. As we read through these, uh, it's pretty clear that a lot of those qualifications are similar to the qualifications of an overseer. And that's intentional. The role of a deacon, um, as Stott observes, is better thought of as assisting the overseers in their ministry. So as Stott puts it, you can kind of think as the elders, as the head of the church, responsible for teaching and prayer. And the, the deacons are the assistants to the elders doing the work of the church, kind of being the hands and the feet to the body, where there is a need, they meet it, where there is 
hurt, they're there. Where people need care, they make that phone call. They go to that person's house. Deacons are the official lead servants of the church who come along the elders to provide care, distribute resources, and walk along those in need. It's a huge role. As I thought through some of these requirements, I'm not going to walk line by line through it, but I do want to hit a few of them. In verse 8, it says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. This first verse is pretty clear that those being considered for deacons must be self-controlled. They can't talk out of both sides of their mouth. They can't be greedy, looking out for themselves in front of other people. Stott points out that there's four areas in this verse that kind of form a natural grouping in which candidates for deacons are to have control of themselves. First is their behavior, that they are dignified, so that in all that they do, they recognize the role that they have as people look to them as leaders, and they they control themselves and they act in a way that doesn't diminish that. In their speech, that they're not double-tongued, that they don't say one thing to this person, another to this person, that they don't talk out of both sides of their mouth, that their yes is a yes and their no is a no. Their, speak, their speech is measured and controlled. The use of alcohol, that they're not addicted to much wine, and their attitude towards money, that again, they're not out for dishonest gain, that they recognize that the resources of the church are not their personal bank account, which is a big maybe generalization, but as a deacon, it's recognizing that your role is to serve others. In verse 9, deacons must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Although deacons aren't required to teach um, like elders are, they're still called to hold fast to the mystery of the faith. Paul often refers to mystery um, in his writings. And when he refers to that, he's talking about something that was once hidden, but is now revealed to those that have spiritual discernment. Here, Paul's referring to the mystery of the gospel, the truth of a risen Savior, the awesomeness that we, as sinful and flawed people, can come into the presence of God through the blood of Christ who died for us. And that through the, the guiding of the Spirit, we can live lives of service to others and to God. Fully recognizing that it's not about, it's not because of us, it's not about of us. It's because of the truth of Christ risen for us. So, the importance of a deacon holding fast to the truth above all else is so that they don't become selfish or caught up in selfish gain or dishonest gain. Deacons are to put everything through the scope of the gospel. Every action, 
every word. That's huge. (laughs) I have a hard time saying that I do that 100% of the time. But that's what we're called to do. So that we don't become like false teachers who in 1 Timothy chapter 119 shipwreck their faith. Verse 19 says this, holding fast, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. If deacons are the lead servants, kind of steering the ship of service for the church, by losing sight of the gospel and the importance of the gospel, you're going to run aground. As soon as you let false teachings take root within the church, it's destructive. It's harmful. It's not something that you put off and deal with later. It's something you take care of now. And by holding fast to the mystery of the gospel, you can recognize false teachings. You can extinguish false teachings so as not to shipwreck your faith and those who are following you. Verse 11. Deacons must have an irreproachable home life. Similar to elders, it's key that deacons have households that are in good order and allows them to tend to the matters of the church. Support from the family is key when serving in a role such as elder and deacon. You have to have your whole family behind you. Because in the role of a deacon, it's not just you serving. It's you stepping out of your house. It's you taking time away from your family. It's you giving of not only personal agenda and and schedules, but also the schedule of those that are within your family. It's important that when a, a person is being considered for the ministry of a deacon, that it's, it's not just a whim sort of decision. Yeah, I can do that. That sounds good. Or I like that title. Or, ah, that'd make me feel important. When being considered for a deacon, it's something that you and your family need to pray through because it's going to infect your entire household. And if your household isn't in good order before that, I can guarantee it won't be after that. Because all of a sudden, when you step out to serve the needs of the church, there's going to be bitterness, there's going to be resentment, and it's going to add to layers of issues. So before someone steps into this role, steps into this leadership position, their households must be in order so that their service would glorify God and not take away from their persons or their walk. At Missio Day, I feel like we have a pretty good system in place when it comes to deacon candidates. We receive names. We put them through kind of this filter. We look at who they are, where they are serving currently, how they interact from our perspective with other people. And then from that, if they agree to going through the, the discernment process, they enter this process that takes a few months where they sit in Scripture, they study different books together, they build community with one another, and at the end of this discernment process, 
they're kind of called to account. Is this something you're going to step into? Is this something you feel God is leading you towards? Or is this not? They're open to a period of questioning from the congregation as well, where they can be tested. And I feel like this process is really important. In verse 10, it says, Let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So this discernment process that we have at Missio Day isn't just about saying, hey, look how great of a leadership development track we have. Or look how good at this that we are at identifying people that have leadership abilities, that speak well, that carry themselves well, that can present our church well. This discernment process is important because God's word tells us to do it. It shouldn't be for puffing ourselves up or the candidates up or the current elders and deacons up. This process is key because scripture calls us to do it. And for no other reason. In Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, we read about the appointing of the seven to serve. Those deacons who came before the apostles, were prayed over, and then sent out to serve the masses. These were men of good repute, who were filled with the Spirit and of wisdom. And who went out and served. As they did that, recognizing that the elders needed to hold fast to what they do and that the deacons needed to hold fast to what they will be doing, as you continue reading through that scripture, it talks about God's word continuing to increase, the numbers of disciples multiplying greatly. When people are functioning within the roles that God has placed before them, People are changed. God's word is farthered. Deacons provide structure. They provide structure to different ministries that happen within the church. For us, in this time right now, Todd and John and Emily have been key in getting structure in place for ministries such as worship, such as road crew, the chairs you're sitting in, and partners in mission people that we support, the block that we're coming alongside. As I was thinking through this structure, and I, I'm, I kind of tend to be an anti-structure type of a person. I don't like a schedule. I don't like a calendar. I don't always like order necessarily. I like to be able to fly by the seat of my pants. It became pretty clear, I don't serve a God like me. <laughs> Our God doesn't fly by the seat of his pants. We see in God's word his structure. We see that he has an order in everything he does. From creation to Job to the entrance of Christ to this earth till now. There's nothing God does just because he feels like it at that moment. We see that in his word and in his works that there is an order and a structure to everything. So why then would we as a church feel like we don't need that? 
that we can kind of do what we want. That if society is telling us that we need to have electric guitars and drum sets to worship, then that's what we should do. We as a church need to have order and structure in what we do so that we can mimic God. Deacons' roles are just that. They are servants who have been tested against Scripture, open to questions from the congregation, and proved blameless, not perfect, but blameless, in order to be fit to serve as lead servants of the church. As deacons assist the elders in the business of the church and provide structure to the ministries of the church, they are also glorifying God for who he is. Now, as we talk about deacons being servants, I want to be careful to point out that deacons should not be the only people serving. Deacons shouldn't be the only people looking for ways to serve, whether it's with a greater church or in a small group. That's all of our job, to serve and to look for service opportunities. But deacons' role in that is to gather people together, to assist them and equip them as they serve to put in motion God's people to live lives of service for him. In other words, deacons shouldn't be doing it all. They should be coordinating others to get them involved in the service that's already happening and the service that needs to be happening in the church. Deacons see needs. They recognize the need of the church. And they know the people of that church well enough to know who would be, what gift would fit that need. And they put those two things together. They also recognize that not a whole lot of people will mark cleaning up chairs as their spiritual gift. And so therefore, they need people whose spiritual gift may simply be willingness Because the church's needs aren't always things that are going to fit perfect in everyone's spiritual gifts. But as deacons match people up to serve, they're going to match gifts and they're going to match willingness so that the work of the church can be done. And that that's a shared work. Another important role of a deacon is to care for the people of the church. Deacons should be the front line for any physical needs that someone may have within the church, whether it's monetary or otherwise. A deacon's ministry of service is to include care for all that they come into contact with. So as I kind of wrap this up, the last question that kind of started coming to my head was, well, then who in our church should be a deacon? And the answer I got was a question. Who in the church is already doing the work of a deacon? Because that's probably going to be your best candidate to be a deacon. Those whose hearts are already sold out on service. Those who on Sunday morning, when someone new comes in the door, they're actively seeking them out. Those who genuinely ask others how they're doing and listen and react and meet that person's needs when able. Right now, we're blessed (laughs) 
to have three very qualified and giving people serving as our deacons. John and Emily and Todd um, have done great things. Even the difference of a year or so ago when a consistory meeting consisted of Paul and I sitting at Starbucks to now where once a month we get to sit down as five people who come at church from five different directions, whose lives and walks with God have come from five different perspectives, get to sit down and look at what it is to care for this church that God has entrusted us with. To shepherd people, to come alongside people, to meet needs, but first and foremost, to communicate the truth of the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. And my invitation to you, no, it's stronger than an invitation. It's stronger than a request. My demand, maybe it's not that strong, but that's the best word I can think of, is that for you as Missio Day Church, our daily in prayer for Todd and Emily and John, as they seek to serve God and to serve you through their role as deacon. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that we as church members or regular attenders or people who maybe stop in once a month aren't praying for the leadership of the church. Because as you can see, through these qualifications, it's not easy. God doesn't set the bar low, hoping that we're going to exceed it and surprise him. God sets this ridiculously high bar, knowing that we as people can't reach it. And there's nothing we can do. Nathan Phillips can't meet every requirement for an overseer as outlined in the, in the verses before this. Todd Pabin does not daily meet these requirements to be a deacon. But as we learn to rely more and more on God, to be guided by the Spirit in everything that we do, it is through His power that we are able to do this. And there is power in prayer. And there is power in congregational prayer. And so that's how we're going to wrap up this morning. We're going to pray for these three. And I won't, I won't make you feel awkward by coming forward or anything. But if you're close and you feel led to lay hands on them, I would encourage you to do that as I, as I close us in prayer as we move into communion. And I do want to wrap up too with John 13, verses 34 to 35 before we pray. should be pretty familiar to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is what a deacon is called to do for the whole church body, to love one another well. That's the model that Jesus Christ laid before us in his earthly ministry, And it's the model that still today we should be chasing hard after. That we love one another well. That we serve one another well. That we come along one another in hard times and in good times. So that they will know that we are his disciples. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you don't keep secrets from us. I thank you that you have given us your word in the Holy Scripture that we can read exactly what you ask of us. And God, as we do that daily, I pray that you would give us the endurance and the boldness and the strength to follow through with that. God, we come before you this morning as your humble servants, fully recognizing, God, that we, apart from you, are nothing. Fully recognizing, God, that as we are faithful to your call, you will do great things. And God, we also fully recognize that we are sinful people. And God, we ask that we would be able to give you that sin. God, that we wouldn't cling to it. But God, that we would fully release that. Because Christ has already paid that cross for us, that cost for us in the cross. And God, this morning as we look at service and what it is to serve one another, God, I just want to lift up Emily and John and Todd, who are currently serving as deacons within your church of Missio Day. God, I pray for them that you would give them wisdom. God, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear where people may have need, where people may have hurt. And God, I pray that you would encourage them. God, that we as a congregation would come around them and rally for them, not against them. God, that we would recognize the hard work that it is to be a leader in the church. God, that we would recognize the gravity that comes along with that, that it is not something to be entered into lightly, but it is a call that you have placed upon people's lives. And God, as Todd and Emily and John seek to be lead servants, seek to connect those who have gifts and talents and willingness to that which the church needs, God, I pray that, that you would encourage them. For as your word says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. God, I pray that that confidence would be built upon even now. Father God, we love you. We love you because we can't even comprehend you. We love you because you are big enough to handle anything that we think we can't. We love you because you sent your son to die for us. And God, we pray that as we go from here, as we go through the next six days of our week before we meet together again, Lord, I pray that the words from this morning would hang heavy in our hearts. God, I pray for each of us that 
daily we would be able to meditate on your word, emptying our hearts with our desires and the things of this world and letting it be filled with that which comes from you. God, because we know that what comes out of our mouth, what thoughts are thought in our head, comes from the overflow that is full in our heart. So God, we ask that anything that exists in us that is not of you would be stripped away this morning so that we might be a good witness to the truth of the gospel wherever you have us placed. Father God, we love you. We pray all this in your name and all God's people said, amen.